the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we head into hour three on your way home, it's a delight to bring back one of my favorite cultural commentators and critics and authors and writers, Bethany Mandel. She is the co-author of maybe the most important book this year, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation, the kinds of themes we talk about here a lot. Bethany, welcome back to the show. My fault. It's been a while since we checked in, but uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, and I apologize in advance for the two-year-old who you will hear in the background. Newly minted two years old. He's, today is his birthday, so I can't even get mad at him. Happy birthday. I'm, we're good. We're family-friendly, so we like kids. We like dogs. We're less happy about <laughs> cats, but we'll take them if needs be. Uh, this is why we're friends. This is why we're friends, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Bethany. Stolen youth. I mean, there is something radically, uh, as you put it, there's something deeply wrong going on in our schools there's something deeply wrong something deeply wrong going on in our culture you um, you write about this in your book along with carol markowitz it's an odd time i'll set it up this way long wind up forgive me but throughout the 60s and 70s and even into the early 80s we seem to be very conscientious of children's innocence and yeah. being comfortable with who they were and are, whether we're talking Fred Rogers or Sesame Street or Free to Be You and Me and the Ms. Foundation or the Children's Defense Fund, there was something important in protecting the innocence of children. Neil Postman wrote about these things, sociologist at NYU. It seems we have now used children, taken children to be, how shall I put it, the foot, the foot soldiers in our culture war yeah. for, used for adult purposes used to soothe yep. adult anxieties you take it from there bethany so it's funny that you say that i was thinking the word foot soldiers before you said it because that was actually the working title of stolen youth before we landed on stolen youth we were going to say we were going to call it child soldiers mm-hmm. we decided it was kind of weird to say that because we're not actually talking about child soldiers right. we didn't right. want to confuse people right. but um but that's exactly right we the left has decided to use children and childhood as a way to um, to fight in these culture wars. And so if you think about sort of how bizarre it is that, uh, that children are attending drag queen story hours and it's viewed as, um, it's viewed as a, a sign of enlightenment that you're bringing your child to these kinds of activities. I mean, even just, I would even say 10, 15 years ago, if, if someone did that, they would they would get a call and they would get a knock on the door and get a visit. That's right. Um, because people would recognize, like, you are assigning a maturity about sexuality to your child that is trouble, troublesome and honestly a red flag for potential abuse. Yep. Um, and this is something, I mean, there's so many, there's so many components of this. I, I could literally write a book on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many components of this that really bother me, but I think one of the biggest is, if not the biggest, is that this ideology 
doesn't just steal the innocence of individual children and, and it doesn't just sort of escalate a, a nationwide and a culture-wide sort of decline, but mm-hmm. it, it strips from every child um, their sense of danger, their, yeah. that, that inner mm-hmm. voice inside mm-hmm. of them that says, like, I don't think that you're supposed to talk to me about this. Right. I don't think that we're supposed to be doing this. Right. And even if kids are not turned, like, sort of turned onto this ideology and, and start considering themselves transgender, it impacts every single child it encounters because it, it desensitizes them to the idea that uh, adults can and should talk to them about matters of sexuality mm-hmm. and can and should tell them to keep secrets from their parents mm-hmm. and that anything inside of them that indicates to them that I feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. that that inner voice is perhaps bigoted, perhaps transphobic, mm-hmm. perhaps, I don't know, maybe racist, mm-hmm. um, and so that they need to silence that inner alarm system mm-hmm. instead of trusting it. And, and we, we tell that to children, we tell that to women, and the ramifications of that, we will never know the full extent of. Right. Right. I, that's very well said. I mean, as you say, there are so many components to this. One of them is, you know, I said 60s, 70s, and 80s. I might as well have said 90s. There was a 1996 State of the Union address I have very firmly in my mind that Bill Clinton was talking about back when the debate was the V-chip. I don't know if you remember this this concept no. of putting a V-chip in, in our television sets to make sure that television fair when cable was becoming so prolific at the time, prominent at the time, the, to make sure that the, the, the fair on television was uh, was age-appropriate for children. Even Bill Clinton oh, was gosh, talking about their, the importance of age-appropriateness. And I think about... Their hearts, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, right. it, it's funny because our concept of age-appropriate right, right. has also shifted right, drastically. Right, right. That's a big part of this. Let's spend a second on that component, if we can, for a moment, Bethany. Um, when we are told books are being banned in schools, mm-hmm. books that uh, show sexual acts, talk in uh, what we used to maybe even refer to as child pornography, but certainly pornography at this point, the way I've read some yeah. of these books and looked at them. Yep. When we say that's being banned, it's no more being banned than not showing them a KKK film like Birth of a Nation uh, to teach American history. It's just inappropriate. That's the difference. It's not being banned. It's just not appropriate. We wouldn't show a rated R movie to to six-year-olds. That's not a ban. That's age-appropriate. Yeah, we we are limiting access to inappropriate content to to minors. And what's really disturbing uh, in this conversation is the fact that um, the American Library Association, when you look at their conversations related to age-appropriate content, yes. um, they assert, basically, that they they cannot deny patrons access to materials based on any, um, any, any not qualifications, but any identity. So mm-hmm. I can't deny services or content or anything to someone based on their race, their gender, their sexual, idea- sexual identity, or their age. And they're lumping age in with all of those other identifying symbols, as if that you can you can discriminate against a six-year-old by telling them, "I'm not going to let you read a pornographic graphic novel." Right. That is not that is not sexist. That is not racist. That is not transphobic. That is just 
asserting that adults and children are different and that children are not uh, able to consume the same kinds of media because they don't have the emotional maturity with which to process what they are being given. Um, and this sort of adultification of childhood um, is, is stealing their innocence. That's right. And it also, it, it causes such catastrophic uh, mental health issues, and we're only seeing the tip of that iceberg. That's right. We're just at the very beginning of this, although we are in the midst of a mental a youth mental health crisis. Though I have to say, Bethany, I talk a lot about the youth mental health crisis. I don't know where you come down on this. I think we have an adult mental health crisis, too. Oh, I don't 100%. think we would have youth problems if we didn't have adult problems. Let me put it that no, way. No, that, that is absolutely true. And that's something that I got into a little bit in stolen youth, but honestly, not as much as I would like, but it's a book about kids, so in the, yeah, in the sure. end, I kind of had to stick to my lane. But I, I wrote about this a little bit in a column for The Spectator about um, about Jonah Hill, mm-hmm. which is like this actor. I read his, it. Go ahead. His, Tell the story. Yeah. Go oh, ahead. You're so fun. Look at you go. You're so prepared. I read I everything you do. You were prepared for a few few, and I'm prepared for you. Yet. We just, I turned the tables on you. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, because I, I had to sign in, and I couldn't remember my login. I was like, <laughs> We used to call it narcissistic personality disorder. It used to be. Let me take a quick break and pick up on that with you, Bethany. If I don't, if you don't mind, we're talking to Bethany Mandel. Her book, "Stolen Youth: How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation." As I say, I think the most important book of the year. Uh, Bethany Mandel can be followed also on Twitter at Bethany Shondark. S H O N D A R K. She and I'll be right back. Bethany Mandel is my guest. Her book, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. And we were talking just about the things adults foist upon our children, erasing their innocence, yanking them out of uh, their natural gardens of Eden, and uh, in some respects foisting upon them adulthood before they're ready. And Bethany, you were talking a little bit about the issue of uh, what we what we might call narcissism in adults. It's mm-hmm. all about soothing adult anxieties and using the children to do so because of this notion yep. of I and me and how I feel. Go ahead with that, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I read a lot of the um, the memes that people of my generation post about mental health. You know, self-love is, is paramount. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the key to uh, maintaining their own mental health. And it's, it's funny because we've seen this metamorphosis of, 
how mental health has been uh, framed in our country. And right alongside that metamorphosis, we're watching every single metric decline. Mm-hmm. Everyone's uh, happiness mm-hmm. is going down. Their levels of anxiety yeah. and depression are skyrocketing. Maybe. Religious maybe. affiliation, church and synagogue attendance, marriage yeah. rates, all of it. Yeah, go yep. on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And maybe the way that our mental health experts are framing how to maintain a healthy mental state mm-hmm. is part of the problem here. Mm-hmm. Maybe the experts are not the experts. That's like, I feel like the lesson of the last several years, the experts are not the yes, experts. Yes, Um But on, on mental health, I'm just, you know, we're watching, <laughs> there's so many things, on mental health, on education, we're watching the experts get their way. Yeah. They're, and yet, every single metric, they are failing. And yeah. yet, we're still doing all the same things. I was awoken to this. I was doing a project on the homeless um, and uh, the part of the homeless population that's chronic with with a lot of drug addiction. And I was Mm -hmm. talking about maybe we need to revisit involuntary commitment issues. And someone said to me, and boy, was it a wake up call. He said, yeah, but who are you going to send them to? You really trust this gang? And I thought, you know, you're absolutely right. We've got a huge problem in the mental health and therapeutic community because they are normalizing delusion. They are now, um, how do I want to put it? They are now enabling mental mental disorder and disease. They're they're saying, no, be good with it. Don't change. Don't fix. Don't adjust. Be good with it. Be comfortable with it. Uh, You know, society can adjust to you, you not to it. I, I, uh, I don't know this person, but it's kind of a friend of a friend situation. Their child um, went through a real serious mental health crisis and um, was related to the fact that they, it wasn't related to the fact that their self-identification as transgender was uh, a manifestation of their mental health issues. It wasn't, um, they weren't actually transgender. They were just sort of feeling like they didn't fit in and that something was broken. And so the the child sort of became fixated on like, this is what's wrong with me. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the the child ran away and became suicidal, and the parents were looking for an emergency an emergency outplacement out sorry outpatient outpatient placement. yeah sure sure yeah and they um, they interviewed um, places where they could bring their child and they said are you going to affirm my child's transgender self identification and every single outpatient facility said yes and they said well it's obviously a manifestation of pre-existing mental health issues that have become really acute. Mm-hmm. And your answer is that you're going to pump my child full of hormones. Right. At this moment, right. they are most vulnerable right. and most uh, most susceptible to the effects of these mood-altering hormones. That's right. And they could not find anywhere right. that would tell them, we will not affirm and we will not, quote-unquote, treat your right. child's gender dysphoria. Right. In in the way of, you know, hormones and uh, and potentially, you know, more than just hormones. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a really scary time. Uh-huh. And I, 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 I don't know what this family ended up doing, uh, but they were, they were given no good options. I used to, uh, having worked a lot at, in federal education policy back when I lived in D.C., I used to not really love the view of everyone get their kids out of government schools. Of course, it was different in those days. I got to tell you, I'm there now. Um, I'm simply there now. Let me me ask you this, Bethany Mandel. Um, uh, 
We talked about the gender issues, the sexualization of our children. You mentioned race. I want to talk about the race thing, too. Uh, that came a little bit before the, the the sexualization of our kids was the racialization of them. And, yeah. and, and what we got from the mental health psychological professionals was such nonsense as, well, kids are cognizant of their race from the moment they're born. This is just baloney. It's hap- that kids do not think that way. Rogers and Hammerstein knew this from the play South, the musical South Pacific. You've got to be carefully taught to hate. Get them early at six and seven and eight. They again, adults implanting their views into children. Yeah, no, absolutely, sir. Now you're hearing a six-month-old. I love it. Um, I, I have been really troubled by this uh, as a mother. I, we, you know, we we read a lot. And my kids um, were, were pretty race-blind mm-hmm. uh, until we started reading books mm-hmm. about Rosa Parks mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they were not just not race-blind, but they were hyper-conscious of it in a way that was honestly uh, uncomfortable yeah. for me um, because all they saw was someone's race. Right. And they, they don't... They don't, they don't have the ability to discern the difference between Jim Crow America, the time of the Civil War, and the present day. And right. so my kids thought that all of the books that we were reading were about the present day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, and, first of all, um, that, I mean, we are told continually that we have made no progress. I mean, we are told continually right. <laughs> we weren't systemically racist 10 years ago. We are now. Funny that. Right, right. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, mean, it's go ahead. Yeah. Don't, they don't have they don't have the they don't have the emotional maturity or the intellectual maturity at four or five years old to understand that a book might be written about a different time period and that the conditions that you're describing in the book are not the conditions of the present day. And right. so my my daughter, when we started reading books about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks who she loves and adores and admires, became frightened for her friends yeah. when she realized for the first time who was black and who was white. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's, the, that's maybe the worst crime we're committing against our children, frightening them. I noticed yes. this, as you did very much so during uh, COVID with the masks and turning mm-hmm. kids against one another and a families against one another and frightening them, catastrophizing them, really, catastrophizing them, really. And it seems to me I've got to take a break. I'll pick up on this with you. I'll get your response to it on the other side of the break and just say I was thinking about an old – there's an old French revolution statement that every revolution eats eats its own children – and, and that's only half the quote. The full quote is, like Saturn, the Roman god Saturn, like Saturn, every revolution eats its own children. If you look up the Roman god Saturn, he ate his children because he was afraid of them. He was afraid of them. And it seems to me this, this, this issue of fear and planting fear into children is one of the great crimes we're committing against them as well. I wonder if on the other side of the break you might address yourself to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Uh, Bethany Mandel is our guest. Stolen Youth is her book, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. She's also a co-founder of Write Books for Kids, at Write Books for Kids, right with the letter R. We'll ask her about that and the issue of banning.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Bethany Mandel is my guest. She is uh, the author of Stolen Youth and uh, out this year, and also a co-founder, co-author of Stolen Youth, co-founder of Write Books for Kids. We'll ask her about that. This issue of children and fear, Bethany, um, and the fear we implant in them seems to me um, almost an odd codependence. I don't know if you've seen a phenomenon. Some psychologists have written a little bit about it where parents are kind of not into being adults with their children anymore, mostly surrender, more, more, more and more surrendering their parental authority and, mm-hmm. and using their children either as their friends or as yep. um, yeah, you've seen that too. There's this, yep. and 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 in an odd sense, and I hate to put it this strongly, but through COVID, particularly, I saw this, and it plays out in the race and sex stuff too. But through COVID, particularly, yeah. it's almost this weird transference, this weird Munchausen by proxy kind of thing. We're mm-hmm. foisting yep. our our issues onto them. I think it's one of the worst crimes we could be committing. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that. It's all, it's linked to gentle parenting, which is actually sort of at the the heart of another book proposal that I'm currently working on. Good. So I love that you are, are thinking about that as well. Yeah. But I think that it's this pathological need on the part of parents for their children to affirm them. Yeah. You have to be affirmed by your own child. Yeah. And so they're, they feel better about their own paranoia about COVID. They're inside, but they're terrified because they made them terrified. Yes. Um, and, and I think that it, perhaps it's a lack of community and a lack of friends. Um, I don't need my children to be my friends. I right. don't need my children to affirm me. Right. Because if I'm having a day where I need to be affirmed, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call my husband. Right. Um, but well, you can come on this show, Bethany, if he's unavailable. <laughs> we'll let you process you your can, resentments you with me. us. <laughs> you can process. <laughs> You know, you're another Seth. I'll I'll take another Seth. (laughs) Um, But, you know, half of America's kids are being raised in a household where there is only one parent present. And so maybe maybe those kids' parents don't have a spouse to pick up the phone and have an adult conversation with them. (laughs) No, I I, I think that's probably very, very true. Um, but it's 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 a it's a surrendering of adulthood, and what you end up with is children. I think those children end up being what you might call something with arrested development. Heather Hang had great phrase for it: adult. Uh, let's see, what was it? Children in adult bodies was how she put it. We're raising a younger young generation of children in adult bodies. What we used to call arrested development: kids that did not yeah. get the natural m- maturing process. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're raising children who think that they are adults, and we're raising adults who behave as though they're exactly children. Right. And I, yeah, that's all connected. No, we're infantilizing um, adults. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. And and so I, uh, this is also linked to the mental health issues right. that we were talking about earlier in another segment. Like there, there is something wrong with how we're thinking about and considering childhood. Yes. And all of that is linked to our society at large. Mm-hmm. And what, what I think I find refreshing about this moment is all of these sort of mommy issues um, used to be sort of relegated to, like, uh, we, we, would, we, we wouldn't really consider the psychology behind parenthood as, as a important part of our sort of societal conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that 
conservatives are now really starting to become uh, aware of how all of this manifests and how it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm afraid that it's because the inmates are taking over the asylum and Correct. we've realized we're living among crazy people. Yeah. But, um, but I think that there is hope for you know, the future generation. Um, and the good news is, uh, the only people who seem to be having children are conservative. <laughs> so, so we'll flood the zone. <laughs> we'll just flood the zone. We'll do the breeders it. will inherit the earth. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> you got one more segment in front of you. Do you have one more segment for me, or do you got to run? If, if you're okay with a two-year-old screaming mama in the background, I'm here for you. More than okay. I want to promote it. I want more of that, Bethany. <laughs> Tune up the volume. Bethany Mandel and I will be right back. I want to talk to her about book banning. I want to talk to her about the NEA, and I want to talk to her about her publishing project, Write Books for Kids. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you care about our country, our culture, and our children, then there's probably no more important analyst, thinker, writer, than Bethany Mandel. Her most recent book, Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. She's also the co-founder of Write Books for Kids, Write with an R, which I want to come to in a second, Bethany. But before that, we talked a lot about parents. We talked about the schools. Just just a thing on education. I, I wonder if you might comment on this. I was saying on the show yesterday, I think there's two views of education going on in this country right now. One is maybe what you might call a traditional view or what we grew up with. When you send a kid to school, you kind of hope to learn some reading, some math, maybe a little science, maybe a little civics, something about their country perhaps. But there's another view of education that I think the professionals are now wrapped up in, particularly at the NEA and AFT which is it's to propagandize, and it's to do something entirely irrespective of reading and math. You know, we've gotten so many studies in the past year about our declining scores, particularly since the shutdowns of COVID. We got another one today. Uh, eighth grade reading is, 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 is seven and a half months behind where it should be. Eighth grade math is nine and a half months away from where it should be. And the NEA is putting out reading lists on 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 gender queer and uh, and and white fragility. I saw a conference today. The NEA head of the NEA was giving a, a lecture on um, on racism and homophobia in the schools. There's there's a huge divide and divorce between what we think we need from our teachers and what the professional teachers associations are telling us that we should have. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And and it's you know. It's like watching a forest fire going on, and the firefighters are like, well, let's just make sure everyone in our ranks is of the right gender right. and race and that right. everything is equitable. Yeah. And you're like, wait, but what about the fire? Right. We'll, we'll get to that as soon as we make sure. And, like, one, there was a, there, there's a big conversation happening local to me where I live in Maryland right now about this um, because the local school district has removed the ability for parents to opt their children out of these kinds of highly charged gender and sexuality readings. Okay. They said, we will not tell you when we're reading these books to your children, and we will not let you pull your children out of the classroom. Uh-huh. And so because there are the a lot of children. children, right? This is part of that whole yeah. thing. Yeah, okay. exactly. Right. They, are the vill- they belong to the jo- village. Right. Mm-hmm. And so 
there's a big debate happening where I live locally about this, and it's actually really interesting. The protests are being led by religious Muslims and Ethiopian Christians. Yes. And the last protest that I attended, I was in the racial minority by a long shot. You being white. Yes, yeah. yes. Every single face was brown, and my white face was an anomaly. And, um, and all of the parents there were sort of saying, like, can you just make sure that my children can read? Yeah. Because right now, most children statistically, in this county, cannot read right. on grade level. Right. They cannot do math on, on grade level. Right. And the, the concern for, for administrators in this county is, you know, reading them books about transgender kindergartners yes. and drag queens. Mm-hmm. And I would just like my child, I mean, I homeschool, thank God, mm-hmm. for a reason, mm-hmm. but I would like the children to just be able to read the book about the drag queen. That's the first step. Make That's sure that right. they can read it. That's right. <laughs> I, they refuse to sort of stay in their lane and achieve just the most basic level of competency for children uh, when it comes to benchmarks. And what, what I think was so interesting about sort of this um, this moment of, you know, children are falling farther and farther behind was related to the civic scores. Yeah. And there was a fascinating RAND study about the civic scores, and I wrote about this for The Spectator magazine. And um, the, the teachers who were teaching civics, these are the people who are in charge, mm-hmm. said, you know, we don't think that the objective here is to make sure that kids know basic geography. That's, mm-hmm. that, we don't think that that's the mission here for um, for civics instruction in America. Mm-hmm. What we want is to raise, is to sort of graduate socially conscious sure. students sure. And, and put them into the world. And so they're basically giving away the game and saying, like, we don't even think our job is right. important. Right. And when the teachers don't think their job is important... You'll get what you you'll get what you pay for, and we pay a lot. See, that's the lie too. I, yeah. I'm guessing in your area, I know it a little bit from the past. I'm guessing you guys probably pay about eight, you probably spend somewhere around the neighborhood of eighteen thousand dollars per pupil in in yeah. public yeah. expenditure in your area. That's you correct. can teach a kid to read for eighteen thousand dollars a year if you want oh, yeah. to. It's not a hard step stretch. The game was given away. The head of the teachers union in L.A. during COVID shutdowns said, "Who cares if our children can't do their times table?" They know what the word yep. insurrection means. Um, yep. Yeah. So yep. it, it, when they tell you who they are, yeah. believe them. Yeah, very nicely put. When they tell you who they are, believe them. Just a few minutes left. Tell us about this project, Write Books for Kids, Bethany. Yeah, absolutely. So we're kind of doing two things. We are trying to show parents um, great, great books because your kids, if you're trusting them to the school system, they're going to be reading I Am Jazz, and they're going to be reading Swish, 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 Go the Drag Queen's Hips. And instead, we want to sort of alert parents to the great literature that's out there and great books that are being uh, produced now. Um, but we also are using it as sort of a journalistic tool to expose the rot in children's literature. Uh, there's a lot of attention that's being paid to uh, sort of what's happening in entertainment and media, um, but the, the world of children's literature is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I am working on a piece now. Uh, a, an author for a major publishing house sent me a letter that her um, 
that her uh, editors and publishers at this major publishing house sent to their authors saying they are using their weight and their money and their um, sort of credibility in order to uh, bring lawsuits against anyone who they determine to be book fanning. Mm -hmm. And so they're bringing lawsuits to... um, politicians in Florida, for example, and they're asserting that if you are trying to limit access to age-inappropriate books, that you are a book banner, Mm -hmm. and that you are are, uh, violating the Constitution. And so there, I mean, there's a lot of money going on here as well, and I think that people are not really aware of the amount, the the, the height of the the deck stacked against them. And the deck is being stacked against them with the media, with politicians, uh, but also with these publishing houses because they have a they have a lot of money at stake yep. here. Yep. They've produced all of these age inappropriate books, and they want to ensure that they can continue to sell them to school districts and libraries using our tax dollars. Yeah, it's an intimidation racket, and. Um, yep. Bethany, you're just so great. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, especially as it's dinner time over on the East Coast. You 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 are great. <laughs> you can hear me cooking? Oh, I love it. What are you cooking? Um, couscous barbecue chicken. It's not up to your standards. Um, and roasted cauliflower. We'll get you to Phoenix. We'll show you what barbecue chicken is. We'll get you here one way or the other. Send my regards to the other Seth, Bethany Mandel. Thank you. I will. Thank you very much. Uh, Bethany Mandel's book, Stolen Youth. How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. I'll be right back with a final word. Well, we've also got to think about the economy, don't we? Uh, Inflation, talk of recession, stock markets, volatility, and bank failures. Where do you go to invest? Well, Refi has an answer. They have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're headquartered right here in Scottsdale. They'd love for you to stop by their offices. They're at the, Scott, they're at the 101 in Scottsdale Road. I've been there. You won't get asked to sign a thing, and you won't get a sales pitch. They just like talking about what it is that they do. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them and like them so much, and you will as well. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. I found the Heather Haying quote that I was looking for. It's a fine needle to thread, giving children enough space to make their own decisions and mistakes and protecting them from real danger. Our societal pendulum has swung too far to one side to protecting children against all risk and harm, such that many who come of age under this paradigm feel that everything is a threat, that they need safe spaces, that words are violence. By comparison, children with exposure to diverse experiences, physical, psychological, and intellectual, learn what is possible and become more expansive. It is imperative that children experience discomfort in each of these realms, physical, psychological, and intellectual. Absent that, they end up full-grown 
but confused about what harm actually is. They end up children in the bodies of adults. Dr. Heather Hang, H-E-Y-I-N-G. She wrote that with her husband, uh, Brett Weinstein. Um, David, you you have been uh, particularly uh, sensitive, conscientious is the better word, particularly conscientious to these children's issues. Isn't Bethany just a gem? You're going to love her book. I'm going to give it to you because you, you raise this with me often. And uh, it just seems to me this is what society is geared for, the raising and rearing of children appropriately or um, the destruction of them, which will, of course, augur nothing but the destruction of a civilization as we know it. We used to know this intuitively, and now it almost sounds subversive to have to say that. We used to have pop songs that understood this so intuitively they didn't need analysis. Now they require sophisticated analysis, and um, and when when given, subject are subject to great criticism from the cultural war against us and our children. Well, they've declared the war. Let's not surrender it or to it. Until tomorrow, thanks for spending some of your day with us. I'm Seth Leapson. He's David Dahl, and on behalf of me and David and Bill, God bless you all. And class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 